Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of God! It's a wonderful night for a moon dance, Ben. <laughs> Fantabulous night to make romance, maybe. <laughs> In the colour of October skies? <laughs> It's the week of the wolf, mate. This um, this is the episode where we stick to the roads and clear the moors. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to so, do this all. Um, but after we finish, <laughs> we're going to the slaughtered ram, right? Yeah, that's right. I don't even think we have moors in this country. I don't really know what a moor is. Like, I mean, I <laughs> they always they've used it in the fast show sketches and in Sherlock Holmes and the Hand of the Baskervilles. It was always you know stay off the moors and stuff. But I think, I think it's, it's a, pat- a, it's it's a paddock. A, it's is it just a it's an a English hill. thing. It's a hilly paddock. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. but but um we have come to the show with an arsenal of silver bullets and sticks with silver handles. Sometimes that's enough. <laughs> that's apparently how that works too. Yeah. <laughs> and we learnt that. Silver dollars. Silver dollars can be enough. If, yeah. Uh, some of the films that I watched the, this week uh, are anything to go by. Do you know, in preparation for this show I discovered a movie called um, Mexican Werewolf in Texas. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm genius. Uh, my biggest regret was I didn't get to watch it. Yeah. Oh, there was there was a number of films that I had, you know, like listed. I was like, oh, wouldn't mind checking that out, and I just couldn't get hold of it. But that kind of makes me like, like Mexican Werewolf in Texas makes me want to do like a, a werewolf travelogue series where it's like you, you got your American Werewolf in London yeah. and and Paris and all that. But why not like a Mexican Werewolf in Texas and then go from that to German Werewolf in Vanuatu or something like that. But you would th- like, but why not go like a bit of a distance, like like Mexican werewolf in Texas? Uh, it's across like, the border. Yeah, like it's literally. <laughs> He's out for the day. Yeah, <laughs> it's a day trip. Chinese werewolf in Norway. Yeah, like why is it Mexican werewolf in Canada? Now that would be so- like that's a trip. It is a trip. You got to actually cross another country to get there. Yeah, and the climate <laughs> is completely different. Like and there's zero. Like Texas used to be part of Mexico. Don't forget border patrol. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe yeah. that whole movie is just him taking on the Minutemen. <laughs> or her. That'd be great. And you know, the border with Jack Nicholson meets American Werewolf in Being London. werewolves, they can dig under the wall. Or just jump right over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was pretty silly. <laughs> <laughs> We're just writing our own movie. Yeah, like, that's right. Exactly. This movie's probably nothing like... It's probably like a Santo Mexican wrestling movie and that's just his... The werewolf is his like name, his wrestling name. <laughs> oh dear, well, hey everybody, um, what's hanging? This is another episode of Good Movie Monday. Maybe you're new, maybe you're not, but we are a podcast presented every week by FakeShemp.net. That happens to be a website, by the way, FakeShemp.net. I've had a couple of people say to me, what is this FakeShemp.net? It's like, well, it's pretty self-explanatory if you type it in. Type it in, yeah. No, I just, it's just a, it's an Evil Dead reference. That's, all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It is home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran. I take the shape of a werewolf on chemo. Um, means I've got no hair. Like, I'm, right. I'm very hairy. Yeah, and You're an uh, albino. The yeah. bloke across from me is Ben Halwig, who may or may not approve of that joke. 
<laughs> I'll let Ben be the judge of that. <laughs> no, no cancer-related jokes. Okay, I apologise. That's, that's, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> Are you prepared for Werewolf Week? I am. I well, I am now. <laughs> I will, I've had it. <laughs> um, I think they're my favourite movie monsters. Where do you stand on them? Prior to doing this episode, I would have agreed with you. I would have said yes. <laughs> yeah. But then. Like there are a lot of shit werewolf movies. There's a real out fine there. line between a good one and a bad one. I mean, I find it like, I find it more interesting than Frankenstein mm-hmm. or Frankenstein's monster in terms of post Universal horror movies. Yeah, like I mean, Creature from the Black Lagoon is the one that suffered the most. It's he's had the less, the least <laughs> amount of remakes um, of and kind of yeah, and like no one's done anything with the kind of war of it. Like mm-hmm. aside from Shape of Water, yeah. Like there's seemingly nothing, and and the and then the actual kind of sequels, mm. but like it hasn't gone anywhere. Yep, it's like you know, like, you just it, don't it, think of him as a monster anymore. <laughs> like you know, back then he was one of the great monsters, and now no one's ever fucking heard of him. Yeah, he's just yeah. Like there's <laughs> no you know, I suppose because he's limited to, to underwater kind of hijinks. Mm. But uh, you know, Wolfman was always is always been kind of fun, but. Yeah, like when I actually actually watching a lot of these movies, and you're like, uh, the special, like if the special effects aren't a hundred percent. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Like the werewolves have kind of there's a real fine line between how much you show and how much you don't, because that can yeah. be the make or break of a movie. And um, yeah, look, it's even some like I know you have issues with American Werewolf in London, just in general. And no, that's, no, I, I I think it's great. I just I think I came to it. A bit too late. Yeah. So, when you watch American Werewolf in London, <laughs> if you watch that movie post, you know, post eighties, <laughs> the transformation sequences, as impressive as they are, aren't enough. Yeah. To sustain a story, <laughs> like oh, he turns into a wolf. Like yeah, I know. Like he's it's the it's American Werewolf in London. I know he's going to turn into a werewolf. It was impressive does, at the time. Yeah. When does he fight crime? <laughs> Like it just—that's when the movie ends. Is like, oh no, he's—that's it. That's the—that's the thing. He turned into a werewolf. No, but there's more than that, right? Like he does. Does he go back to the porn theater? Like, does, like what? You know, is it like he King, wakes up naked in a zoo? Yeah, is it like Teen Wolf, where he's like hanging out and surfing on top of a van and stuff like that? Oh, no, 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 no. That's it. He just turns into. Hold the... your horses! Don't keep name dropping too many movies. You might cross cross like... paths with mine. Yeah, right. Okay, well, my choices, I should say. Uh, we are going to explore some werewolf movies with you all today. Uh, we'll be recommending a few each, and in a moment, we're actually going to discuss one that we both watched um, in preparation for the show, but. Uh, also, there is a movie playing in cinemas right now, which opened last week, called Werewolves Within, and it's honestly one of the best werewolf movies I've seen in a very long time. We're going to be talking a little bit later with the director himself, Josh Rubin, and um, look, I, I can't recommend this movie enough. It is that good. So. I am really jazzed to see it. The reviews have been coming in, and they're all pretty good. Uh, so stick around, because we also have our regular weekly segments coming up. Jared Garn from Monster Pictures will be letting you know what's coming up on DVD and Blu-ray and 4K Ultra HD. Uh, Screen Realms Guillermo Troncoso will bring you up to date with the movie news of the week and AFCA chairman Adam Ross will be recommending a werewolf movie of his own. Plus our mates from Bonehead Weekly in America will riff off today's theme. It's a ripper of a show, so strap in and giddy up. A naked American man stole my balloon. Last week on the show, Ben, we tripped across the same movie right off the bat, Tintorea. Yes. <laughs> so we actually ended up enjoying that little... Uh, Let's call it an experiment. 
<laughs> that accidental experiment. Uh, so we've chosen a film to to begin the show with uh, as a point of discussion that we had never seen before, but we thought we'd uh, give it a shot. And, well, it's an interesting one, let's put it that way. 1973, starring the great Dean Stockwell. It's a shonky little film called The Werewolf of Washington. Would you like to give a brief rundown of this one? What's <laughs> it's it's just so it's it's weird and it's very seventies I want to say oh completely very very kind of seventies it basically Dean Stockwell plays a like a press agent or secretary of he's the a, White House yeah, well no that's what he becomes like I not I think he's like a I think he's just a reporter right yeah. at the start and but he's he's having an affair <laughs> with the uh, president's daughter yeah uh, and when he dumps her he kind of ends up getting shipped off to Hungary for. Unknown reasons, because he doesn't at the time doesn't work for the pre- president or anything like that. But and while he's while he's in hunger, he gets bitten by a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kill he kills. He how kills how does guy. he kill it? How does he kill it? Well, you don't even really. I don't. Well, even, no, he has a stick with a silver handle. With a silver handle. Okay, but it's <laughs> like such because there's a, the guy in the middle of the road with the motorcycle. There's a lot of weird stuff happening in Hungary in this in the beginning of this film. And yeah, so then he 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 basically gets. He gets bitten by the werewolf, and then he comes home and becomes the deputy press secretary for the president, <laughs> who couldn't who couldn't be less interested in being the president. Yep, is much more interested in fixing his home bowling alley and uh, <laughs> repairing the the toilet door. In a, in a, and I love that the the presidential bathroom in the White House <laughs> has stalls, like he has to share it with the other like senior staff. <laughs> That's right. Because the door's locked when he's stuck inside. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and the, like the guy's with his, I'll just use the other one. No, 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 I'll get this fixed. Maybe I'll get the, the, I'll get the janitor. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the hinge. I'll just reach under there. And the guy's try, like literally taking a piss next door. It's a weird movie. But then, but basically, so he's in Washington and yeah. he, he becomes a werewolf. And like a really pathetic werewolf too. Like I love that the, yeah. like this is the 70s. We've come a certain way in like special effects and whatnot. But you know, the, the transformation None scenes are just like a cross dissolve. Yeah. Really bad one where they haven't even positioned him in the right spot. Yeah. It's very, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's a very odd film. It's also such a minimalist film because everything that happens is so close. Like it's so tight knit that like, you know, there's not much around him. So he could be in like a wardrobe for all we know because, you know, they've got a dark background. Everything's tight on screen. And the sound design is really weird. It's almost like, it's almost like watching an Altman film, but rather than like in an Altman film, there's always 20 conversations going on and you kind of just focus in on one, but it's, it's kind of muted. So you can kind of hear the other conversations as well. Yeah. Whereas in this one, it's just one conversation, but you're like, <laughs> why? It's, it sounds like it's, it's, it sounds like the main com- conversation is a conversation that you're, someone else is having next to you and you're kind of paying more attention to that than you are to the conversation you're having. It's really, <laughs> what it's I, really odd. What, what cracked me up the most is like, you know, off screen, they talk about things he's done. that's very vicious. You know, he's a real killer. Yeah. But when he's actually on screen trying to kill someone, he's chasing them like a meter behind and they're running slow. So yeah. he has to slow down so that, you know, the pace can be maintained. Well, and he stays in his suit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He doesn't really. He doesn't but break he, out of his suit yeah, or anything. Yeah, and when he when he attacks them, it's just sort of a little bit of a play fight. Yeah. And what about yeah. when he runs into that that midget scientist? He turns into a puppy dog and starts licking his face. It's very <laughs> odd. I did like. I thought the the scene where he attacks the woman in the phone booth was quite well shot. No, like oh yeah, because it falls on its side. Yeah, and then he's like on top of it, and she's. Isn't that screaming. funny? Because I thought to myself, this should be in another movie because yeah. this is a great scene, particularly when the the, the phone booth. Falls over, they 
they really didn't care about the actress because she was in there when it fell too. Yeah. And then he not only gets on top of it, but there's a point where the door's on the side, so he lays down in line with the door trying to get in sideways. Like, yeah. Really interesting. It's well done. And I, I quite liked her because she's in it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of race yeah. politics in this film. And yeah. I suppose because it is like set in the White House. Yeah. And <laughs> around the, the, the public relations kind of uh, part of the White House. But you know she's she's really good. She like when she's on the phone pretending to be the werewolf and just like making those prank calls. Yeah. And she like she gets the voice down pat. She's much better than Dean Stockwell. At it. <laughs> I love. There's a moment where a detective describes like a dead woman. He goes, you know, she's been ripped to shreds. Her guts is ripped open. And you cut to her in a, in a shopping trolley, and she's got no guts ripped guts open at yeah. all. Just a little slash on her neck. I'm like, dude, you're a crap cop. Like, come on. And it's but the and the but the first killing in Washington happens to that socialite woman and uh, oh but he's, what a slut he's, uh, yeah. <laughs> but he, but he's there with his boss going over like a speech or something like that and he's like a quarter of idiots or so like he comes up with some turn of phrase and then the the boss gets a phone call and he's like uh huh oh that's a shame okay. And like it literally goes for like a second, and yet he has all this information about how this woman has died. You're like, how did you weren't on the phone long enough to get, and why are they calling you? <laughs> but what a floozy that woman was. Was yeah, and she. I mean, she totally was. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm not going to repeat the line, but there is a homophobic fleur inside the bathroom that just cracked me up. <laughs> Completely <laughs> cracked me up. There's a lot of. Uh, <laughs> there's like at the start when they when the when his boss is convinced that the it's a black the, the oh black God, guy he's just yeah. like arrest him what what for he hasn't done anything uh, drugs like it's just like. <laughs> It's a time capsule. It certainly is. It's just it's difficult to a difficult to watch time capsule. Uh, difficult to watch. Well, here's Jarrett. Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Now, it's a whopping week of releases, but before I get stuck into it, I want to share a little bit of news with you, and that is the fact that A Clockwork Orange, The Shawshank Redemption, and John Carpenter's The Thing are all headed to 4K Ultra HD. That's right, they're going to make their global 4K debuts in the United States this September. And hopefully I'll have some more info for you soon with regards to special features and as to whether any one of the three films will have a Dolby Atmos track. Moving on to this week's releases, Madman Entertainment are releasing The Dark and the Wicked. This is a co-pro release with Acorn Media and hopefully it's a sign of things to come that we might see some more of these Shutter original films making their way to the physical market locally. We played the film last year at MonsterFest all across Australia. People loved it. It popped up on Shutter earlier this year and it's really worked its way to become a modern cult classic in the genre. So it's great that it's getting a physical release and, in fact, on Blu-ray as well so you can uh, enjoy that one in Full HD because at this point in time you can't enjoy Full HD on Shutter. Hopefully they get that fixed. Then moving on to Umbrella Entertainment, they're releasing Breaker Moran. This is the fifth release in the Sunburnt Screen series. And in addition to a brand new 4K restoration, they actually don't advertise on the packaging, but it's there and the transfer is stunning. The film features a feature-length commentary with writer-director Bruce Beresford, producer Matt Carroll, and actors Brian Brown and Jack Thompson. It's a fascinating discussion, and it's moderated by Screen Spaces' Simon Foster. In addition to that commentary, there is a feature-length documentary titled Breaker Morant, The Retrial, and then an accompanying piece called The Myth Exposed. 
the director's postscript. There's also the classic 1974 documentary, The Breaker, runs just shy of an hour, plus photo galleries, trailers, and more. Another Aussie film that's getting a Blu-ray release locally, it has been available in other territories before, just not locally on Blu-ray, is John Hillcoat's The Proposition. And this release is reasonably loaded with special features also. It's got multiple featurettes, audio interviews, deleted scenes, and a stills gallery. Then another Aussie film that's getting a release on Blu-ray is Richard Franklin's 1978 classic Patrick, and it's come bundled with Mark Hartley's 2013 remake. This is the fifth volume in the Ozploitation classic series, so you know that means that there are a ton of special features on this release, and both films are on their own discs, so you don't have to worry about compression issues. It also has, of course, a snazzy slipcover to accompany the release. Then, other films coming out from Umbrella Entertainment this week that aren't Australian include Save Yourself, that's getting a DVD release. Glenn's discussed that on a previous podcast. He liked it, I saw it, I liked it. It's definitely worth checking out. There's a Vincent Price double feature of The Mad Magician and The Tingler coming out on Blu-ray. And finally, Umbrella Entertainment's first foray into 4K Ultra HD with the release of Damien Chazelle's Whiplash. Then coming out from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment is Great White. It's the shark fest that Glenn talked about last week. He even interviewed the director. That's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD and it features a boatload of featurettes. Sorry, not sorry. Then the latest entry into the world of Fatal Attraction style thrillers is Fatal. It's directed by Dion Taylor. He's the guy who gave you 2019's The Intruder with Dennis Quaid as a villain. I loved it. Fatal stars Hilary Swank and Michael Ealy. Unfortunately, this one's only getting a DVD release locally, which is a shame as the US Blu-ray had a knockout DTS HD track. Then debuting locally on 4K Ultra HD are Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho and the Birds. These films have been released in the Hitchcock box set in the US and UK, but they are getting individual releases here locally. Both have outstanding transfers and both port all of the legacy special features over. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Until next time, stay physical. Did you know there's other types of were creatures as well? Like a were bear? And a wear elephant and a wear panther. Yeah, look, I mean, people who have seen me in real life, <laughs> and hopefully, and so, listeners to this show, I mean, they should be able to take one look at me and go, "This kid read fantasy books as a teen. <laughs> he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't big with the ladies. He was at home reading uh, Dragonlance <laughs> I think... and uh, stuff like that. So, yes, uh, of course, I know <laughs> that there are other kinds of." Uh... Last week on the show, James from the Boneheads referenced, I think, a were shark. I mean, that exists. It's a, it's a total. He was joking, yeah. but it exists. But and of course, if Wallace and Gromus taught us anything, it's that were rabbits. Were rabbits are, are real. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, um, as Jarrett did say, this week Great White is hitting DVD and Blu-ray, and uh, we had the director Martin Wilson on last week's show. So if this is your first episode listening, go back have a listen to that episode. It's a lot of fun. Um, alrighty, Ben. First actual recommendations here. First right. up. I'm going to go first. Uh, naturally, there's just a lot that I could choose from. Um, so before I, I announce each recommendation, I'm going to maybe reel up a couple of notable mentions, if that's all right. And uh, hopefully I don't cross paths with you. Yeah, you... I, don't, I don't think I will, but... I think we might. I think we might collide on an actual recommendation. But right. well, obviously, American Wolf in London and the Howling are benchmarks of the genre, so it's sort of yeah. You can't not. You can't have this conversation without talking about them. So all five, five Howlings. Oh no, we're beyond that. I think we're up to seven or eight. Seven. Yep. Um, but my pick is a teen werewolf movie from the year two thousand. It's one that I think was a sleeper hit at the time. Ginger Snaps. Ginger Snaps. Yes, starring Catherine Isabel and Emily. 
seconds. The Canadian classic. This is an absolute banger. Like, I really love this film, and I rewatched it last week in prep for this show, and I think it holds up better now than what I recall back then. I actually right. thought it was quite hokey back then, but now I actually think it's you know, it's a slice of its time, but it just it plays out much better. There's a big kind of uh, menstrual subtext to that film. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's about two sisters who are kind of gothy, I suppose, and they're obsessed with death and they fantasise about suicide. And then one night when they're at a park contemplating killing themselves, Catherine Isabel's character is attacked by a werewolf. And then she go- throughout the film, she undergoes like a slow metamorphosis and that sort of, you know, that is a parallel of puberty and, you know, mm. going through the change and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it, it also plays on the, the high school cliques and all that kind of thing. She's supposed to be playing a girl who hasn't gone through puberty? Yeah, she's supposed... Because the whole... Mimi Rogers plays her mother. And towards the beginning of the film, it's a big deal that she hasn't had her period yet. But neither of these girls have Uh, had their period. But they're old enough to... They're not playing 13-year-olds. No, I think the the, the point is they're older than they should be. Than they should be, yeah. Yeah, because I I mean, like... It's been a a long time since I've seen Ginger Snaps. I don't remember them. I I mean, even looking at the poster and stuff like that, I I would have thought... They're at least 15, 16. Yeah, they're 16, I think. Yeah, yeah, if not more. Like, I would not have said that they were 12 think, or 13. I think in the first film, Ginger is 16 and her sister is 14. I think that's right. the difference there. But um, look, this is the movie. Like, in retrospect, this is the movie maybe that Wes Craven's Cursed should have been. Like, you know, it's sort of... Yeah. I think it hit all the right beats and I just don't think it really um, hit the mark in Australia at the time. Like, I remember it coming to video, but it was never a huge deal. It had a lenticular cover. Like, somebody had a lot of faith in it. <laughs> I don't remember that. You remember I remember that? the, the video shitty had Magna like Force a... covers. No, who who released that one? Was it Magna Pacific? Yeah, look, it could be. You know, Jarrett will be listening to this and uh, <laughs> ripping his hair out. <laughs> yeah, he's getting angry that we we don't remember. But uh, I can't. Rem- I just I do remember that one of the covers. The I can't remember if it was like a maybe it was a blockbuster exclusive or something. But it had did okay. have a lenticular. I don't um, recall that, but that's cool to cover. know. Um, but look, it also spawned two sequels or a sequel and a prequel. And I revisited those as well. Just, oh, you watched all I three? Did, I just banged them all out in one night. And number two was way better than I remember it being. And it's a much more mature film and it's much more of a horror film as opposed to sort of a comedy horror. Mm. And it's the sister, Emily Perkins, injects herself with the blood of her sister to try and you know, do a similar metamorphosis. But it, that film is all a parallel of drug addiction and stuff like that. So half of it's in a mental asylum, which is pretty cool. And then the other half is in... Uh, like a cabin in the woods, and that's really cool. So, yeah, right. I do recommend the Ginger Snaps film. The third one's a prequel. I, it doesn't make a lot of sense because they're the same characters, you know, hundreds of years ago, or ancestors with the same names, and they yeah. look identical. It's fun, but it, it doesn't really align. But uh, anyway, Ginger Snaps consider the trilogy as my recommendation. Ben, what do you got? Well, I want to talk about a more uh, kind of more recent, not that. I guess not that more recent, but uh, from 2014, Late Phases. Oh, yes. I um, I have not seen this one. Oh, I contemplated haven't? watching it for the show and I just figured, nah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I've, I this it's directed by this guy, Adrian Garcia Bogliono, who, um, who I guess is probably most well known for Here Comes the Devil, which was a, a pretty big one a couple of years ago. Um, and I, I, like, I've seen a bunch of his, his earlier films. He had like this great one called 36 Steps, which was about this um, this weird kind of inbred family that kidnaps women and they, they put them in this house 
where they have to, they pretend to be having a great time. Like they go, now it's exercise time and now it's pool time and they all have to pretend to be happy. And the minute one of them starts complaining about anything or getting upset, this giant mutant guy busts through the walls with a giant <laughs> hammer and, and like crushes their skulls. And well, then I, have, I have to see this film. It's, it's amazing. That's <laughs> that's called 36 Steps. And then there's Watch Em. I'm pretty sure it's Watch Em Die. There's a, there's a there's another one that's a, like a very kind of typical rape revenge film. But then there's a great one where this um, this freelance cameraman, like last minute, fills in for this guy on a porn shoot. But what he doesn't realize is like they're making a snuff film and they, like he's there filming the porn scene. And then um, the, the director goes, okay, now you're ready for the thing out. You tells the actor you're ready for the big scene, and the girl that he's um, screwing is totally w- wasted on drugs, like yep. t- t- totally out of it. And so the 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 actor goes out of the room. He comes back in with like a chicken head <laughs> mask and a giant axe, and he just starts hacking into the girl. And the director is like, the, after he does it, the director is like furious because he fucks something up. And he's now we've got to find another girl. <laughs> this is ridiculous. And then they kind of as they go, and the cameraman is just like frozen, like. All right. Well, before you get to your werewolf movie, this has been an education for me. Like, yeah. I've not heard of these films. They're all cause they're all um, they're all Spanish language. I do now have to watch them. Yeah, like, and I hope people listening are going to track them down too. So, it, and I would say it's it's virtually impossible because I don't know if any of them have got released in English language. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> I just got them as screeners. Ah. Um, but like I'm yeah, I know they have uh, they've had releases in Germany and stuff like that. So every year round, but. But then, so the cameraman, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time talking about a film that is not the one I'm talking about, <laughs> yeah. but it's just so good. Um, and the cameraman kind of realizes, you know, when he freezes and, and then the, as the director's kind of yelling at the actor and the, the producer and they kind of, they both realize that, oh, that's right. The cameraman isn't in on it. <laughs> and so they kind of turn to him. And so to save his own skin, he just is like, no, we can fix this. And he like just starts helping them. Uh, with the thing, it's it's you know, and it goes from there. It's a great movie, but anyway, late phases. You got five seconds. Go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a great um, kind of kind of uh, contained mm. uh, horror film. It sets sets place in a kind of um, it's like a retirement gated retirement community. Yep. And um, Nick Demisi from Stakeland is like uh, uh, is kind of he's gone blind. He's a vet, mm-hmm. and he's turned blind, and he can no longer really look after himself. So he and his dog are kind of have. have uh, you know, taking a house in this um, thing. But of course, uh, the place full of werewolves. And it turns out that um, uh, the werewolf ki- kind of kill- is killing all the dogs in the area. So, of course, kills uh, uh, Nick Demisi's dog, and which he ain't having none of it. <laughs> so then he kind of sets up a series of booby traps and stuff like that. He knows he's got a month for the full moon. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of, fi- he kind of like figures it out. Yeah. Um, that it is a, in fact a werewolf. It's yep. a, like a guy who smells like a dog, and that's that's because he's blind. That's the only kind of, and no one believes him. Yep. Um, least of all, and he's like, it's got a great cast. Ethan Embry plays his son. Mm-hmm. Um, Lance Guest is one of the guys in the um, in the retirement thing from the Last Starfighter. Tina Louise, Ratanya Alda, they're all like retirees. Um, Larry Fessenden has like a, <laughs> a a cameo. I think he produced the film as well. I think he had something to do with Stakeland as well. Now that I think right. about it, Tom Noonan, Dana Ashbrook from Twin Peaks, amazing. Uh, like it's got a pretty yeah. good cast, and it's a, it's a, like the the werewolf costumes are a little hokey, but the movie is fun enough that it you kind of it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, and it does have a really sweet transformation 
scene, like when the werewolf transforms, you actually see him pull off his human skin. Yeah. And it's all like he pulls it off his face and he and his chest and stuff. That's and the way all, to do it. Yeah, super gross. But he's like ripping it off and it all just kind of shreds. Kind of makes sense. It's a really... Um, yeah, it's like yeah, a it's crab a, in an exoskeleton. Yeah. <laughs> and look, I, I was I kind of... I haven't watched this. I hadn't watched it before. I watched it for the show yep. because I think Accent managed to pick it up and I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm bothered <laughs> with this. Like if they've grabbed it, how good could it be? Yeah. But I was actually surprised by how much I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I see I see the the poster quite a bit online and I've always yeah. been intrigued by it. But um, you know, I just convinced myself to write a film about uh wear crabs. So Oh right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like but not 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 sea crabs, like the the S T D crabs. <laughs> In your underwear. In your underwear, yeah. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Time to cover a little bit of the news from the past week, kicking off with a sequel to The Exorcist, one that's going to be produced by Blumhouse Productions. Producer Jason Blum has shared some interesting tidbits about the film, which he's developing with David Gordon Green. The Pineapple Express and Stronger Helmer, who also directed the successful 2018 Halloween sequel for Blumhouse. That Halloween film was a direct sequel to the original, discarding the many films in the franchise that followed John Carpenter's 1978 slasher film. Could this new Exorcist film follow a similar route? From what Blum had to say, quite possibly. In an interview with Den of Geek, Blum said, It's going to be like David's Halloween sequel. I think it's going to pleasantly surprise all the skeptics out there. We had a lot of skeptics about Halloween and David turned them around. I think he's going to turn it around with The Exorcist. No official word as yet as to when this new Exorcist movie will be happening. Gordon Green has his Halloween sequel, Halloween Kills, due for release this October, plus the third film of his Halloween trilogy, Halloween Ends, is lined up for release the following year. Feels like every week I'm sharing a Dwayne Johnson news story, and we have another this week. The Rock is set to start in an action-adventure titled Red One, a project Amazon Studios has acquired in a competitive bidding war. The planned blockbuster is to be written by Chris Morgan, who has penned seven films in the Fast and the Furious franchise, starting with Tokyo Drift, all the way to Hobbs and Shaw. Johnson will also be producing the film with Danny Garcia and Hiram Garcia via their Seven Bucks production banner. Hiram Garcia came up with the original story for this one, describing the film as an epic edge-of-your-seat action-adventure that takes beloved holiday mythology and turns it on its head. No further plot details have been released, although Dwayne Johnson gave a little bit more clues in a social media post. He described it as Hobbs meets Miracle on 34th Street, and he also included some emojis of Santa Claus so can we assume Father Christmas will be involved, perhaps Dwanta? There's a sequel on the way to Charlie Theron's Netflix film The Old Guard. The Oscar-winning actress confirmed to Variety that a script has been written for the sequel to The Old Guard, the Netflix film adaptation of the graphic novel of the same name that saw her playing an immortal warrior. Well, kind of immortal, if you've seen the movie. Word is that cameras will start rolling on the sequel in the first quarter of 2022, so you can either expect it really late in 2022 or in 2023. And Tarantino has once again teased a little bit about a potential Kill Bill Part 3. Talking on the Joe Rogan experience, the director said, I think it's just revisiting the characters 20 years later and just imagining the bride and her daughter, Bibi, having 20 years of peace. And then that peace is shattered. He also talked about potentially casting Maya Hawke, Uma Thurman's real-life daughter, who has been in Stranger Things and a few other projects, as Beatrix Kidder's daughter. As for other characters, he said, L Driver, Daryl Hannah, is still out there. Sophie Fatale, Julie Dreyfus, got her arm cut off, but she's still out there. They all got Bill's money. He also added, Gogur had a twin sister, Shiaki, 
and so her twin sister could show up. Tarantino has been sticking to a 10 movie plan for a while now, so he's got one movie left. We'll see if Kill Bill Part 3 ends up being the finale. That about does it for me guys, thanks so much for having me. As always, ScreenRealm.com for movie news, TV news, trailers. We've also got your streaming release schedule, Shutter, Netflix, Stan. Go check it out. Thanks so much for having me. I'm out of here. found love by the free design my goodness what a quirky little number that is i love the free design <laughs> kites are fun <laughs> and well that that comes from an upcoming uh soundtrack release for werewolves within speaking of which uh let's have a listen to my chat with josh rubin the director of said film like i said this one's a banger hey josh how are you mate I'm great, Glenn. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, mate, this is a super fun movie. I can't uh, begin to tell you what a relief it is to talk with a filmmaker when the movie's actually good. So congratulations. It's a ripper. <laughs> I hope I can keep it up. That's the terrifying thing of thinking about like number three or number two or the next. Any. And how did you get involved with this one? Like right from the start? 
Well, the folks at Vanishing Angle is a production company. They're, they're uh, Ubisoft's uh, production partners through the operation. They asked if I would like to throw my hat in the ring. Um, they saw my first feature scare me. They had great notes. You know, they came to a test screening. And um, they said, well, you did a movie about, a, you know, uh, two people holed up in a, a cabin during a snowstorm. Maybe you could do it with 11 more people um, and uh, and a werewolf. And I thought, hell, yeah, I'd love to read that. And, you know, uh, my shoulders went up a bit at the prospect of a video game adaptation. But I opened Mission script and was, you know, truly blown away. It felt like Fargo. It felt like hot fuzz. Cool. Well, you've touched upon two things I wanted to ask you about. Firstly, with it being a video game adaptation, uh, you've you've moved this into a contemporary setting. Was it always going to be a modern setting or did it begin as a medieval film? Uh, it was always a modern uh, a modern setting in Mishnah's eyes and it, it only had the sort of spirit of the medieval village, the, you know, the medieval game. You also mentioned Scare Me, which I think is an absolute banger as well. Werewolves Within is not all that far removed from it. Is this like the beginning of sort of a thematic trilogy or anything like that or is it just purely coincidental? That's a great question, man. You know, I, I actually, I, I'm just now sort of coming together on a concept for the Cornetto third, as it were, if I'm going to dare compare myself to Mr. Wright. So um, <laughs> I think there's, I think there's a nice way to kind of quote unquote cap it off and, uh, and start, you know, start a new sort of chapter, maybe before they let me reboot dark man. I don't know. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, the the cast that you've put together is exceptional too. Every single player, I think, is really uh, unique. Uh, how much of the nuances with the characters was in the writing and then how much of it was workshopped with the actors? Wow, that's a great question. I mean, I'll say Mishnah's character is just leapt off the page. Some, I think, were more sort of explicit and more sort of colourful than... Um, than the rest and I, I say that only insofar as like there were some surprises when the actors you know came aboard to be sure you know what Michael Chernus like the, the the level of creepiness he brought into it and sort of dopey dopey cuteness and you know um I said dopey cuteness relating to Pete he's the most terrifying maybe character <laughs> in, the, in the movie um and Glenn Fleshler you know you'd think Emerson Flint was going to be you know, one sort of thing, but Glenn kind of has this this glinty-eyed, mischievous edge to him that that isn't you know all Rooster Cogburn um, grit uh, that really added a whole lot. Um, yeah, I, I would say a good amount though. You know, let's call it fifty-fifty. I mean, the script was so so strong, but the actors come in when they make it their own. There's not a whole lot of homework anybody needs to do because so much of my work is in the casting, right? Um, but uh, the actors just, they really brought their A game. There was such little molding I had to do other than to sort of say, hey, like, don't take the funny too far or don't uh, uh, don't be afraid to expose yourself to play a little more vulnerably, to play a little more terrified or hysterical. And let's talk about the, the casting because these are not just upcoming actors. These are all totally seasoned performers. Did you... Did you choose or chase these people or was it a process of audition? How did this come together? These were all offers. Every single role is an offer. Um, the movie is too small not to offer uh, <laughs> to actors. But the wonderful thing about that is, you know, um, I was able to cast my friends. You know, I, I started with George Basil, who's been a friend of mine for, for years. You did videos together for a long time, plays Marcus. He was absolutely hysterical in this movie. You know, I started with 
Rebecca Henderson. I had met her through her wife, Leslie Headland, who I think is an absolute genius. And Rebecca is one of the most technically proficient, comedically brilliant actors I've ever worked with. And she's, she's just so hysterical. I had to work with her and I thought, better than Richard Jenkins, you should play this kind of scientist. You should play this sort of mental breakdown um, amidst this um, terrorizing uh, situation. Um, and then, you know, actors I either dreamed of working with, like Michael Chernus and Cheyenne Jackson, who Harvey Guillen suggested to play his husband, which was a, an inspired idea, to Kathy Curtin, who I had just previously worked with and fell in love with and thought she was just the most, you know, bold, risk-taking, um, original, you know, performer. Uh, it, it was a kind of a smattering of methods. You're making it sound like it was a lot of fun, which in turn makes it sound like it was very easy, but I, I'm sure it was quite a difficult film regardless because uh, it just comes off so polished and so smooth on screen. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was tricky. You know, shooting in the middle of upstate New York in the winter is tricky. Shooting on a limited budget is tricky. Shooting with one camera 90% of the time with... 11, 12 actors, that is definitely tricky. Um, but, you know, uh, I think nothing's trickier, you know, than convincing everyone to trust you um, and yeah. sort of giving yourself over to your cast as well. Uh, and, and thank God they all loved each other the way they did. Like they all got along. They all improvised with each other. All loved to read with each other. And, and it shows, man, you know, you can see it's fun because they all just like loved working together. That's cool. And, and for the benefit of people that don't know, you are also an actor. You starred in your first film. Um, why did you choose not to front the camera on this one? Mm. A few people have asked me this. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything more interesting I can offer to any of these roles than, um, than you know, the 11 actors um, who came aboard A. And B, it was one of the bigger gigs I'd had to date. I wanted the experience of simply helming it. Um, I had a lot of work ahead of me. And I think to add, you know, memorization of lines and being a good acting partner to the troupe would have been, um, you know, would have been overwhelming. I think, I think there'll, there'll be a time again to kind of scratch the itch in front of the camera. Um, but uh, I, I'm more excited about putting people in front of the camera that, that haven't gotten the opportunity to do certain things, you know, um, give me another experience like with Chris Red or Aya Cash to be able to do what they did in front of the camera where they might not have, you know, otherwise had the opportunity to, you know, perform in a certain way. And, and that's, that's my dream, but to, but to kind of keep expanding that, that's, that would be, that'd be incredible. Awesome. Well, that's a good answer. Um, and I hope you, I hope you take it as a compliment when I describe Werewolves Within is sort of like a wonderful cross between The Howling and Knives Out, even with like a little hint of Hateful Eight thrown in there. It's um, it's quite, it's quite special, man. Yeah, beautiful. I, I'll take it all, man. I, I got to make quite. my movie in in my hometown with my friend, creature feature in my hometown with my friends. I'm I'm in Cloud Nine. You can comp whatever you want. I'm thrilled. <laughs> quite often when you you draw comparisons, a lot of people get their backs up a little bit, but I I think it's a it's a good thing. I love it. <laughs> so, so having filmed it sort of in your your hometown and all that uh the the light snowfall was that real or was that um digital we captured actual snowfall i want to say two or three times and the rest of it is digital um and that was a real pain in the ass so much of the work we did in post especially in the midst of the pandemic you know we wrapped march 9th and we're in quarantine on the following friday 
was uh, was digital, you know, snow recreation um, transition, uh, you know, mat mat work um, and the like, and and creating the you know the most natural sort of weather we could. But um, that's awesome. I mean, I, I couldn't tell. That's that's the that's the best thing about it. Like, I couldn't tell where digital and real began. That's great. I think I you know big big shout out to my um, my wardrobe department for sprinkling you know snow starch onto the wardrobe and onto actors' hair and stuff. That really really made a big difference. You could see them you know um, interacting with the environment and it, it looked it looked real all the time. Cool, cool. Well, we've only got a few minutes left, so I just want to ask you what were some of your influences when making this one. Oh man! Well, as soon as I opened Mission Script, um, I it felt like a Coen Brothers movie. I, I I pictured the kind of irreverent, you know, uh, stale town you might find in you know uh, Fargo, um, quirky characters yet dangerous characters you might find in that kind of same world. I also you know arachnophobia. Frank Marshall's arachnophobia was a massive one for me. Hot Fuzz was one. Um, yeah. That, uh, that from a pacing standpoint felt pretty appropriate. And I, I've mentioned this one before, but Clue, you know, watching Clue in prep for Werewolves and watching how the cam, you know, the camera work so brilliantly captured, you know, four shots or five shots of actors and made it compelling, um, you know, in, in kind of a Frank Capra quite way. And you're just kind of like, this is fun to look at. All the actors seem to be getting their sort of equal moment and I'm not losing anything, not getting a close up. That was, that was hugely inspirational. I, I mean, I watched that movie into the ground when I was a kid. So yeah, we all did. Fantastic. Um, and you, you did mention earlier on that this was a Ubisoft uh, motion pictures production they must be thrilled with the outcome. I think they are, you know, if there was an article that went out today, I think in Variety talking about how they're, you know, they're taking a unique approach to film and TV between Werewolves Within um, and Mythic Quest on Apple um, and, you know, the kind of larger scale projects they're leveling up to do. They, their, their focus is quality, you know, their focus is like, is really good story. And um, that isn't always the case. I feel like there's, you know, massive entities or entities as massive as, as Ubisoft that might s sort of say that that's the case and their MO or that, that, that their mission, but they just sort of go, no, more explosions. You know what I mean? But they yeah, really yeah, care. Sure. You know, they care like, like Spielberg cares, you know, that Spielberg, you know, um, commits with Amblin that story comes first, you know, and then, then you just kind of lay in the fact that it's Ubisoft proper properties and you're just kind of like, wow. Well, it shows they must have put a lot of confidence in you because the confidence does come across on the screen, as I said before. But uh, look, we're just about out of time. But I want to I want to end it by saying that it is an absolute treat this film, and I recommend it to anybody that that loves uh, werewolf movies, comedies, and whodunits. It's it's got all of it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's a hell of a lot of fun. I can't believe I'm not sick of it yet myself. <laughs> and, and and I hope you do complete that unofficial trilogy. Me too, man. Thank you. Everything I said about that guy was completely genuine. Like, and what a fantastic movie. But um, <clears throat> I don't know why, but that movie reminds me of a 2009 zombie film. Did you ever see Doghouse with Danny Dyer? 
No, I, I really liked Danny Dyer. It's a great one, and I, I like it. Could be deja vu, or we've had this conversation on the mic before, but that is, that's one to check out. Um, it also has uh, Stephen Graham in it. But um, is that a vampire film? You say no, a zombie film. It's a about, zombie it's film. It's about a sta- like it's a Bucks night weekend or Bucks weekend where they all go away to this small town to get loaded. It's very Edgar Wrighty. And when they get to the town, it's just everyone's been turned into zombies and these drunk guys have to fend them off. Yeah. Right. That sounds great. I mean, like we've already released, uh, we released Stag Night of the Dead. Yes. Well, uh, anyway, what I'm getting yeah. at is that's the only film that I can think of comparable in tone to right. to Werewolves Within. But um, anyway, uh, that Werewolves Within is playing in cinemas across Australia now, presumably elsewhere in the world. I don't know. But um, well, not re- let's just say it's playing in cinemas across Victoria. <laughs> yeah. Because if you are listening to this from overseas, Australia is locked down minus yeah. Victoria, which uh, is a real we've re- reversal. Come out of, we've come out of our own lockdown, though we still have to wear their masks. <laughs> Those restrictions haven't eased. Oh, dearie. But, but uh, add that to your wish list uh, when it hits DVD and Blu-ray because it's a banger. But, um, all right, mate, let's carry on. What's your next Feast of Festive Delight? All right. This one, this one I watched uh, when I was looking up, you know, I always I always do a Google search before the show just to, to make sure I haven't missed anything big or interesting that I want to watch. So I did a search for werewolf movies on Google, and this one came up, and I happened to have a copy of it. So I was like, oh, I haven't watched it. I'll bang it in. Yeah. It is 1981's Wolfen. Wow, good. I'm glad you picked it. It's not one I picked. It's not what you picked. Okay. Because watching it, it really is not a werewolf movie. Your favorite, Albert Finney. It is Albert Finney, yes. Yes, and Albert Finney with crazy hair, which I love, doing an American accent. Yep. Funnily enough, his American accent is in this is a lot more real. And like he pulls it off a lot better than he does in Aaron Brockovich, where you're like, hold the movie, you're like, this accent. Like, Who are you fooling, Albert? Hey, I liked, no him. One. I liked him in that. I, no, I think he's great. Yeah. But his, his accent was, it was like, it's like watching Russell, a Russell Crowe movie where throughout the movie it comes and goes. I would have thought you were just focused on the boobs in that movie. In uh, Aaron Brockovich, Aaron yeah. yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really once once she came up with the line that I had to give out, you know, three hundred ninety eight blowjobs. I'm really quite tired. I just that was as all I was focused on. <laughs> you want that movie? I was like, yeah, where's that film? <laughs> it's the <laughs> the prequel. Aaron Brockovich, the blow bang. <laughs> That was the, 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 they didn't even call it a porn parody. They just like, it's just the cut scene. They just cut it in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so Wolfen, basically, it's, um, it's Albert Finney, Diane Venora. I think it's, this is her second, her second, her first feature film, the mm. second thing she ever did. Um, Edward James almost turns up. Of course, uh, this is fairly early in his career, and he's, uh, he's, they're like, well, you look close enough to Indian. You could be an Indian. <laughs> he's played every ethnicity. He's a, yeah, he he's a Lou Diamond it. Phillips. Yeah, that's right. He's a, <laughs> you just like you've got pockmarks. You can be anything. Uh, <laughs> Google him. You'll, yeah, you'll see what we're talking about. about. Uh, Gregory Hines, an Afroed Gregory Hines, uh, turns up. Tom Noonan again, and uh, Dick Neal, who has a great Dick O'Neill, I should say, who has a great bit in this. He's got a great couple of bits in this. It's a great movie. Um, it's very odd. So basically, it's um, Albert Finney is a, a police captain who's kind of who's had some personal problems and isn't isn't currently on active duty. But he gets pulled back in after a um, rich land developer and his wife and bodyguard are uh, executed, mm-hmm. uh, kind of in downtown. 
not sure. New York. I think it's in New York, uh, where this movie is set. And uh, he's called in to investigate, and the powers that be really kind of want it to be terrorism. Mm. Uh, and that kind of points him in the direction of um, James Edward James Olmos, who is a who's playing an American, a Native American uh, Indian, uh, who had committed some acts of terrorism in the past. And he's currently he works on like the Golden Gate, not the Golden Gate Bridge, the what's the big bridge in New York, the Brooklyn Bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge. And yeah. he's like, and there's some great scenes of them kind of climbing up, like, and the openings kind of introduction of his character right at the start of the film is running along the kind of the cables yeah. up the top. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it is, I mean, it's terrifying just to watch that yeah. stuff. And for its year of production, like it's impressive yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, I just think that they just did it for real. Like, I don't think there's just, there's <laughs> no special effects, no nets. They just chained them up there and went, yeah, you'll be fine. Go for it. Um, and so, yeah, so he's, so he's brought into, um, to figure out what's going on. He doesn't think it's terrorists and he's mm-hmm. teamed up with Diane Venora, who's a, a police kind of psychologist. Um, Gregory Hines plays the, um, he's the uh, pathologist mm-hmm. or the scenes of crime kind of investigator type guy. Um, and then Tom Noonan's an animal expert and they kind of realize that, um, you know, it's some kind of animal attack or yep. they think. Mm-hmm. And then as it progresses, you find out what it is and it's in fact not. Yeah. It, it is a wolf type Creature, mm-hmm. but it is not a, a werewolf. Or even though they they do allude to that in kind they of, play up on they it. They play up on it, yeah, a, a lot. Like, but they the werewolf is a is a like it's more like a skinwalker type thing. Yeah, kind of the 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 uh, American Indian kind of legend. But there's um there's some pretty good like they use there's a lot of it. They use that kind of um thermo, thermo, thermography yeah. th- thermography thermography stuff which they would rip off later in predator mm. like it, it, it's 100% like a kind of infrared kind mm-hmm. of thing the problem with it is is they do it it's always it's supposed to be from the point of view of the wolf right yeah of the creature of the wolfend <laughs> but they it changes angles all the time and you're like how is this <laughs> like now you next you like it's like one shot when they're directly in front and then it's onto the side and then it's from above and you're like, how are they in all three places? It's, like, all it's that this? moment style took over from substance. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to have to pay more attention to it next time I watch it. Uh, but there is some great cameos in this. Yep. Uh, James B. Tol- James Tolkien from, mm-hmm. from Back to the Future plays, is a, uh, is a lab technician called Baldy. <laughs> It's great, and he's he's super young. Like this is this is so this is eighty one. Yeah, and so he's he's his hair hasn't gone white or anything like that. It's but it's he's just got a really weird head of hair. Like it's even the hair he has on the back and sides is very thin and wispy. Yeah, um, and Reginald Val Johnson tops up pops up as a morgue technician, the dad from Family Matters, <laughs> uh, and uh, of course Die Hard, a little movie called Die Hard, but really Family Matters. <laughs> Which I believe is a diehard spin-off because I think he's playing the same character. He's playing a cop. He's a cop in Family Matters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, arguably the same cop. The same cop, yeah. 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 Uh, and Tom Waits. Tom Waits has a cameo just Incredible. as a guy in a bar. Well, that's where... That's just is, because uh, that's where he lives. He was just there. He just happened <laughs> yeah. to be there. He's like, well, we're filming in here, Tom. You can't come in. He goes, ah, I'll be in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And he did some like handshaking. Yeah. And they went, no, Tom, this isn't a, this isn't a uh, Tony Scott film. Put those hands down. <laughs> <laughs> and he was still there and when they like, when Jim Jarmusch <laughs> came along and did coffee and cigarettes. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same bar. <clears throat> awesome. You got anything else on that? No, that's it. All right. Um, a couple of honourable mentions. There's a movie called Project Metal Beast from 1995. That's quite gory and fun. It's pretty crap, but it's fun. 
I like some you know, crap fun. And you mentioned Tom Noonan, so Monster Squad, of course. You know, yeah. Wolfman's got nards, mate. Wolfman's got nards. But it's funny that you pick Wolf and, and in that it's not technically a werewolf film because mine now is technically not a werewolf oh, film I, either. I did forget to mention there is some great... Like, uh, there's a lot of hand severing. Like, every time somebody pulls out a gun, the guy's hand gets severed and there's... Uh, you get to see, and Dick O'Neill, the, the great scene with Dick O'Neill I was talking about, he's, he gets beheaded in a car, and it is it is awesome. Like I, he's, and, got, it's, and it's still talk. His severed head still talks like on the ground. It's I know great. somebody that listens to this show that cannot watch anything where hands are severed or fingers are broken, so you know they're going to oh, have well. fun with that one. Um, but yeah, as I was saying, my next one's technically not a werewolf movie, or is it? That kind of thing. It's um, 2004, part of Brian Usner's Fantastic Factory Company in Spain when he was you know, banging out movies for them. Uh, it's called Roma Santa. Ah, AKA Roma, Roma Santa. Santa, the werewolf hunt. Like I said, may or may not be a werewolf movie. It's actually based on a true story of Manuel Blanco, Roma Santa, who was Spain's first known serial killer. And he pleaded innocent when uh, tried, uh, arguing that he had a curse on him that turned him into a wolf. So right. that's where the premise of the film comes from. And look, it stars... Um, Mrs. Hemsworth, you know, Elsa Pataki, is that how you pronounce her surname? I, always th- I thought it was Pataki. Pataki? But Pataki. I could be You know, right. I think you're right. I always mispronounce names on this show, so you are I, yeah. most likely correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was also in um, Beyond Reanimator for, for Yusner's Fantastic Factory at the time. Oh, was she? Um, yeah, she's main actress, I believe. In, in Beyond Re- Oh, okay, that's the third one. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was Spanish. much later. I thought she would have been 12 years old. The Spanish one. Uh, Jim Sherian's in it as well from Saving Private Ryan. But playing Roman Sutter himself is Julian Sands. So he's yeah. sort of the uh, the headliner of this one. And I, how you, I know how you feel about him. I love Julian Sands. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's like, the weird thing about Julian Sands is like he is the... You know he's not a pedophile because he looks too much like a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> like he looks like, like a creepy serial killer kind. Of, and then it's, I remember being super shocked. Like when I found out like he got his start in like a room with a view and stuff. Like yeah, all yeah. these English period, like romantic leads and stuff. And you're like, he just, like, <laughs> like you know, he's the, he, like there's no, no neighbor on the face of the earth would be, would be shocked if they, they discovered that he was a serial killer. Like well, be, he was so nice and quiet, but I knew there was a couple of heads in that fridge. Particularly now when he rocks up at uh, conventions now, like he's, he's bald, like he's got very thin hair, but still longish. And that's, you know, he's, he's got that creep factor going on, but um, yeah, right. he's yeah. great in blood and bone. Oh, he's great in a lot of things. I do like he's, him. He's good. Like he's great in perfect casting in Warlock. So Roman, Sa- Roman Santa is uh, set in 1851, takes place in a small Spanish village that's plagued by by death and people are sort of um, hunting for a werewolf because they believe there's a werewolf out there. Um, after, you know, all signs point to it a werewolf. It sounds exactly like uh, Red Riding Hood. It, well, yeah. Well, we, I'll get to that <laughs> okay. in a minute. Um, and Company of Wolves. And then this, uh, this guy drifts into town and, you know, he's a serial killer, but, you know, the town people think he's a werewolf. And uh, Anyway, the scholars and the scientists are all on board arguing that it's a mental disorder. So there's this whole argument going on. But this is the movie that I, you know, I know I liked it more than you, but this is a movie that Neil Marshall's Reckoning should have been. Like, you know, yeah, that film felt very forced in the way it it told of a small medieval kind of village. Like it looked like a forced set, you know, like a, yeah. a constructed set. I this, just, it was, and they, they, it was just all too 
fake. Yeah, whereas this one, it kind of gets the same aesthetic in a real kind of way. Like they've gone yeah. somewhere in Romania or whatever and found a place to shoot him. But um, look, I like it. The guy who directed this might be of interest to you, Ben. It's uh, Paco Plaza, who made the first three Wreck movies. Oh. Yeah, which I, well, you've spoken about on the show. Yeah, which I did enjoy. Yeah, so you might get a kick out of this one. Like I said, of those Fantastic Factory movies, this is the best one. Do you, do you remember that that little run that happened? Like I think Mad Men or the AV channel might have put them out at put the time. Put them all out. Look, I... I was for me with the movies, like we got them all in at the video store that I worked at, but yep. I, I didn't, I wasn't paying any attention to. Dagon was another one. You know what they? Yeah, uh, was kind it of Dagon they were all together or part of a series or like a studio? Yeah, wasn't uh, beneath still waters arachnid those kind of movies. Uh, yeah, Rock, Rottweiler, you know, which is <laughs> that's a terrible, terrible Brian using the film that one. I like the cover. <laughs> cover was great, <laughs> um, and the film is in English too, which um, you know. Is a good thing because a lot of these films are sometimes, you know, yeah. dubbed poorly. I remember, I remember when Roman Sada came out on, um, on video. Well, that's the other thing. Actually, it came out around the same time. It got overshadowed by um, Brotherhood of the Wolf, which is yeah. the Christopher Sand movie. I think his name is Christopher. Mark the Co- it's the Mark DeCoskis <laughs> movie. <laughs> yeah. as far as, and, uh, Very similar movie, and I think that one just sort of hit the screen in a bigger way. Is that the movie where um, Seymour Cassell? It's not Seymour Cassell. Vincent, Vincent Cassell and um, Monica Bellucci met? Could be. I uh, thought they'd known each other for a bit of time before that. Maybe they had. Yeah. I don't know. They don't really share any scenes in this movie, like really, in Brotherhood of the Wolf. No. But that, that's another good one. That's, you know, arguably werewolfy. Well, it's, yeah. It's a, it's a lion. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for everyone. Shush. But it's a lion. But um, yeah, no, I've, I've, I saw that. I saw Brotherhood of the Wolf. That got a theatrical release here. Yeah. I saw that theatrically. Yeah, I thought sure. it was great. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Today, werewolves. Hey, hey. Tomorrow, the world. <laughs> Slow down the accent, guys. Today, werewolves. That's bad. I ain't got no nary accent. He doesn't have no nary accent. That is true. So, back to werewolves. I like werewolves, but it's really just Jekyll and Hyde, right? I yep. love, actually, werewolves are my f- favorite monsters, I think. The more why I think are werewolves? No, why? Because werewolves are the one monster you can be and still live something like a normal life. Maybe, maybe vampires. Have you seen Silver Bullet? He isn't yeah. normal. What if his you eyes gotta, shot You got to chain yourself up once a month, you know, kind of put yourself, well, yeah, werewolf by night it. That's a reference. But, to you know, this is the best way to do this. So let's talk about this. Why do they change the, the, the rules so much? Because if it's one movie and it's werewolf once a month, and then some of these wolves can just wolf out any freaking time they want to. Well, that's that's what we call plot device. But if you go by classical mythology, it's under the light of the moon. Right. Of the silvery the moon. Not the not the sun, but the moon. moon. Uh, but now, now that being said, yeah, no, I, I think that that's I think werewolves are probably one of my favorite because I think when they're done well in movies, and they're not often, but they work really, really well. And I think it's 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 really when do we lose our humanity? There's a lot you can read into that. Zombies are zombies, you get bit, you're done. Vampires can't go out in the daylight. Werewolves, if you want to make a movie about literally somebody going day-to-day, werewolves is your way to do it. Now, that being said, I want to mention... Real quick, what's your favorite werewolf film, then? I was say, I want to mention probably one of my best humorous werewolf films, and it's actually not a werewolf film, it's a vampire film, but I want to say what we do in the shadows. For the simple line, remember, we're werewolves, 
not werewolves. That's right. That's right. Man, there is a several werewolf films that I like. I but I'm going to talk about one that's not very good, Silver Bullet. I rewatched it a few months ago and I loved it as a kid. Do you guys like Silver Bullet? You know, it's I haven't one of those, seen it. In years. It's one of those Dino De Laurentiis films that was based on something by Stephen King that was shot in Wilmington, North Carolina when he had a studio there. He ended up going bankrupt later in the 80s. Check it out. That's a fascinating story. That being said, not aged well, not aged well, and it's very uneven. It's based on Cycle of the Werewolf. However, I like some of the werewolf stuff in it, so check it out. And uh, Cycle of the Werewolf, shit, by the way, Gary Busey. If you get if you look at the original art for Cycle of the Werewolf, it's by Bernie Wrightson, and it is beautiful. I have it right over there in a hardback, kind of cool collector's thing, but I'm not going to show you people. Chad. So the most important thing that I've learned from werewolf movies is that if you become a werewolf, you get really good at sports. So I got to talk about my favorite werewolf movie, Teen Wolf 2. I there knew you go. go too. Good. I'm glad he did. <laughs> this will make Glenn happy because Glenn likes shit sequels. And That's not fair. I really it's did not? prefer Teen Wolf 2 over the first one. I, I guess I it's more because... Oh, uh, in a long time. I've seen them both, but I haven't seen them in a long time. It's a gem. And it's got one of the best 80s montages ever. It's got John Aston. And it's got John yeah. Aston in it. Uh, but no, uh, Teen Wolf 2, basically. Boy, because uh, they couldn't get Michael J. Fox because he was too big. So they went for uh, Michael J. Fox Light at the time, which was Jason Bateman, who, by the way, went on to excel far past Michael J. All time, in my opinion. You really I'm think have so? To I don't ahead. know. Have you seen I, Doc Hollywood? Oh, <laughs> Uh, the future frighteners any of this ring a bell don't don't change don't change my secret of my success <laughs> arrested development white lights big city <laughs> i always think of texas chainsaw massacre too with a bright lights big titties sorry <laughs> i don't want to hear them i want to see them sorry no so to wrap up the five minutes Teen Wolf 2, better than Teen Wolf 1. It involves boxing. It turns Jason Bateman into the next Muhammad Ali. And then a, a completely bonkers ending that makes no fucking sense. Check out Teen Wolf 2. As, as we wrap up, Chad, one question. Who is Who does it better, Jason Bateman as a werewolf or Jack Nicholson as a werewolf? Jason Bateman, have you seen him rocking out to Bob Clark? Just cut it. We're done. <laughs> this has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Well, firstly... Uh, firstly, fuck Chad. Um, he stole my thunder with Team Wolf 2. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I was totally going to run with that. Uh, but he's right, though. That's a fun sequel. I like any movie where college <laughs> boxing is the uh, central theme. <laughs> but um, but thank you to those boneheads, Joe, Chad, and James. You can find Bonehead Weekly wherever you get your podcast from. They record their show over Zoom. So if you actually want to watch what they do, go to YouTube if you prefer the vodcast format, I guess. But some honorable mentions, How from 2015. That's a wonderful flick. That's one that Eagle Entertainment put out. You enjoy that? Yeah, I, I love it. And the, the thing that's like, I was actually going to talk about it. Um, luckily, I've got other... <laughs> I, I watched more films than were required this week, but um, the guy who directed it, Paul Hyatt, mm. um, who subsequently gone on to do the, the Covenant, the Convent and stuff like that. But prior to that, he was a makeup effects guy and he did a lot of makeup effects for, um, uh, what's that? We just talked about him now. Just His name's completely slipped my mind. The Reckoning Director. Who oh, Neil Marshall. Neil Marshall. Yeah. He's done a lot of Neil Marshall movies, but he actually did, he did like... Um, 
the descent, mm. descent two, doomsday. Um, and he did Centurion, but he also did the Eagle, yeah. which is about the exact same yes. thing. Yep. Uh, just with uh, was it Channing Tatum? Mm. Wow. Uh, instead of. But you can get how Eagle are good friends of ours. You can get it from their website, eagleentertainment.com.au. It it's definitely available. worth picking up. The effects are great. The one thing I found that, that was like odd about it was like the, the like a lot of werewolf movies deal with the fact that it's just on a, in a, like a full moon, you transform into the wolf and you, and you kind of, but the rest of the time you're your normal self and you're dealing with the guilt or whatever of the, or the repercussions of your actions on that one night a week, a month that when you've turned into the wolf. Yep. Whereas Hal, it, it seems like they're always... Yeah, it's one of those ones that it, it, it switches the law. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And look, just real quickly, we can say friend of the show, you name dropped him a moment ago, Neil Marshall, Dog Soldiers. There's a, there's a great... There's a classic one, yeah. That was a, a big one that I, I stayed away from because I'm like, it's too... It's... Yeah, everyone talks about that. I'm surprised that you haven't brought up, and I hope it's not your uh, <laughs> last film, but I'm surprised you haven't brought up any of the Wolf Cop films. No, I haven't. Um, I did watch them recently. I love those. They're fun. They, I mean, look, any movie where there's a dick transformation uh, is... is... <laughs> yeah. I like the first one more, but I, I do think they're good. I love the poster art for those. It's mm. uh, fantastic. Uh, but look, a minute ago, Joe from Bonehead, motherfucker, also stole my thunder, except this time I completely disagree with him. So I'm going to argue that Stephen King's Silver Bullet does hold up very well. And that's my next recommendation. Uh, in fact, I hold this one in the same regard as The Howling. I actually like Silver Bullet more. It might not be as good a film, but I think it's much more fun. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Like it's it it has been a while since I've seen the the Howling, but I, I feel like the Howling had a had a lot more had a much more of a kind of a sleazy undertone. It's a grimy kind it. of film. Yeah, like like especially all that stuff at the start in the convenience store and everything, and the the whole. Um, you know, there's all that stuff around the campfire and stuff yeah. when they're at the retreat and everything. And, and there's the culty kind of aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, there's much more of a kind of a, you know, a sleazy sexual kind of thing to it, whereas Silver Bullet has none of that. Silver Bullet is a kid's movie for adults. Yeah. You know, it's an adventure movie. Uh, I, and it does have Anne of Green Gables in it, which I know you're a big fan Megan of. Megan Fellows, absolutely. Look, the reason I and think... And drunk, drunk, who is better? <laughs> drunk Uncle Gary Busey. He's the ultimate He's drunk so uncle. He's so good. He's so good. And what a cast. Gary Busey, Megan Fellows, Corey Haim is the lead, uh, Terry O'Quinn, Everett McGill, uh, Bill Smitrovich, and um, Lawrence Tierney. This is an incredible cast. But um, the reason I think this one works so well is it, it plays into that uh, whodunit sort of genre. Like, mm. you know, the thing with werewolf movies, it does work well is when it's a whodunit, you know. Yeah. Like, Werewolves Within is all about that. It's about one of us is a werewolf, which one is it? I think the, the monster plays well into that. Although they kind of, they do, he does subvert the law in that as well because the werewolf is killing constantly. It's not like it's only happening once a month and, it, yep. you know, it's a whodunit, you know, every 30 days. They've got 30 days to figure out before he kills again. It's like uh, the werewolf is... Yeah. Yeah. So, well, well Silver Bullet is um, set, in case you've never seen it, it's set in a small town where locals sort of band together to hunt a beast that terrorises the community. And Corey Hayne plays a kid in a wheelchair that discovers the identity before anyone else, but no one believes him. He tries to catch him and, you know, look, I'm not actually going to spoil this because if there's somebody listening that wants to see this film because they've never heard of it or have heard of it but never seen it, it's a good reveal. I like this one. It is. An Umbrella lot. has put out a pretty yes. uh, schmicko Blu-ray of it. The Blu-ray's uh, great. And I um, I dived into some of those uh, special features, you know, last week, you know, in prep for this show. And it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, it's very Stephen Kingy in the way it's mm. delivered. The humour is very much, you know, 
Stephen King. So if you love his stuff, it's based on his, uh, as Joe said back in, in the Bonehead segment, it's based on a sort of a, a picture book called Cycle of the Werewolf, which is mm. um, unique to Stephen King's work because it is essentially a children's book. But um, director was Dan Adius, who never made another movie, but he's become one of the most prolific directors on television. I'm talking, if you go to IMDb, you can just scroll for like 20 minutes through this guy's yeah. stuff. You know, He did um, Penny Dreadful, The Sopranos, Marvelous Mrs. Mabel, Homeland, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Walking Dead, the list just keeps going on. Buffy, you know. Does them all. He's prolific, yeah. But um, Silver Bullet. Catch it if you can. It's fantastic. Alrighty, what have you got next? Uh, well, look, I, I did. I actually had an extra one, but I'll. Um... Or did the boneheads fuck you up too? <laughs> no, this is the first week <laughs> where they haven't just casually thrown out films that I was going to talk. Like, not even the main film they're talking about. Just like, oh yeah, oh don't forget this one, this one, this one. I'm like, I haven't forgotten them. I was gonna, that was gonna be my picks, and now I can't talk about them. I've got to rein those guys in. Stick yeah. with one film each. <laughs> We really should. Uh, the thing is, like we we don't tell each other what our films are, no, and we don't tell them what our films are, That's... so they don't, they don't know. It's not their fault. <laughs> and it, yeah, the reality is, no one can understand what they're saying anyway. So I guess it doesn't really matter. Great. Uh, <laughs> no. I have. Uh, I did watch just a quick mention. I did watch Alpha Wolf from two thousand eighteen. <laughs> with uh, it does um, reunite Casper Van Dien and Patrick Muldoon from Starship Troopers in a really kind of super dodgy uh, werewolf movie. But this movie is great because um, one of the things I really like about it is there is a scene where uh, th- there's the uh, the main woman has a dog, a rotwheeler dog, mm-hmm. and the dog gets bitten by a werewolf as well as Casper yeah. uh, Van Dien, who's the husband. And so while Casper Van Dien turns into a, a werewolf, the dog turns into a werehuman. <laughs> Uh, it's a great, like, it's a, there's a great bit. Hang on. Is this it. is this the throwaway title, or that's your the, actual? That's the throwaway okay, title. Because that sounds great. It is like it's. I mean, you know, it's Casper Van Dien, whose <laughs> acting acting was never that guy's strong point. He was always he was much more he was always better looking than he was a, yep. a, a, a talented actor. But um, it is a very and it is 2018, so it's not even Casper in his prime. What it's, a concept, you know, though. Um, but it is a it is like it is very entertaining. It's I it's on Tubi, so you can check it out. I'm there. on it. Um, no, the movie I'm going to talk about is from 1976. It's a werewolf woman. Uh, it was, it's been released, uh, in the U S, uh, through Raro, uh, DVD. And I, so I, as far as I know, that's really the only place you can get it. It is possibly the sleaziest movie <laughs> I have ever seen. It is phenomenal. It's directed by this guy, Reno Di Silvestro, who's probably most famous for directing either this or maybe Hannah D, the girl from Vondel Park. Uh, and it's uh, look, the it's basically this. It's it's about this woman who, and it's similar in theme to um, to uh, a film that you were talking about earlier, where this woman uh, finds out that her ancestor, one of her ancestors, who looks exactly like her, <laughs> Ginger Snaps, Ginger Snaps yeah. three, I think, yep. uh, looks exactly like her, was uh, burnt at the stake for being a werewolf. Right. And she, she's okay. She's in a, has a very fragile kind of mental state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she believes that she is a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And she also has this weird thing. It, I look the, when I watched it originally, when I first got the DVD, but when I was rewatching it again for this show, I couldn't find the DVD. And the only version I could find online was just the Italian language one with no subs. So 
I'm a, I'm a bit unclear about some of the points, <laughs> but something I think something has happened to her because she um, anything sexual kind of sets her off, right? And I can't I'm not sure if it was because prior to the beginning of the film she's she's been raped or something's happened to she's been abused. But somehow. is she in heat? Well, not really, because well, can't, it's hard to explain. Because it, what first sets it off is, um, like she's like they're like a fellow, relatively wealthy family, and her her sister comes home for a, a celebration of some sort and brings her her uh, new boyfriend home, mm-hmm. and um, this then the the main girl, the, the um, uh, Daniela, spies on them making love that first night, and she gets the horn. Uh, and then um, kind of lures the guy outside Mm. and just as they're, and basically pulls all the clothes off and seduces him. Yeah. Uh, And this guy's got like some pretty amazing stamina because he's not like, you know, (laughs) he's not 16 yet. He can still, he manages to go two or three times uh, (laughs) that night. But um, so mid coitus, she rips his throat out Mm. with her teeth. Right. And then, um, kind of throws him over a cliff and tries to pretend that it was a um a wild dog had attacked him yeah. and you know and she witnessed it and she kind of has a bit of a breakdown so they they and they think it's just because she's witnessed this mm-hmm. horrific act yep. so they they institutionalize her and while she's in and the institution is full of like all these you know <laughs> women who are <laughs> hypersexual <laughs> and stuff and she's at one point, she's strapped to the bed. She's managed somehow. She's managed to steal a knife from uh, from the doctor, but she's she's strapped into the bed overnight. And this other patient, this other woman patient, comes in and kind of uh, basically sexually assaults her Jesus. while she's strapped down. But she manages. She like she sets her. She lets her free. So you know she pretends to yep. be into it and says, you know mm. sets her free. Then she stabs the woman in the neck while she's going down on her. <laughs> It's like a great, it's a great scene. But then she takes off. She escapes the mental institution, killing a couple more people on the on the way mid mid sex act again. Yep. And then she um, she hooks up with this with this um, movie stuntman who's living in a wild west uh, set town, uh, and kind of falls in love with him. And everything is okay. Like she kind of she she kind of recovers mentally and she falls in love with this guy and he in love with her and he's like very gentle and understanding and stuff and then of course three of his um like workmates turn up and uh, take turns raping her and kill him <laughs> oh so she kind of snaps and gets and then it goes goes like goes out for revenge man and, you know by the time this has happened her sister and father have figured out that <laughs> She was actually responsible for the boyfriend's yeah. death, and like it's it's no, super. Um, nothing you said has made any sense, no, but it's, but it's a, it's it sounds fantastic. It's a convoluted movie, but it is great, and it is like it is like super exploitative, yep. and super sleazy. Like the opening, the opening credit sequence of the movie is her ancestor dancing naked around a, a fire in the middle of the woods, right. and when I say like it's full frontal. Nudity, naked, everything is on display. It's this is like no, a, this is not Betty White in the proposal or anything <laughs> yeah, like no, that. No, no. <laughs> it's Betty White Lake Placid. If she, if 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 Betty White was also the alligator. <laughs> if that's imagine if that was it was Lake Placid, but Betty White thought she was the uh, the alligator and doing all the killings. Nothing you said just then made any sense. No. <laughs> 
It's a complicated plot, but it's definitely worth checking out. Like I said, I, it is it is available on DVD and Blu-ray overseas. Cool. Uh, so that's the best way to get awesome. it. Awesome. Adam? Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another good movie Monday recommendation. Now, today I'm going to be recommending a movie that, being a little bit meta, is Kiwi, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, our favourite Kiwi films, is a comedy, which I don't do very often, and isn't entirely about werewolves, but does have werewolves in it. It's Werewolf Adjacent, it has vampires in it. So what is this werewolf-containing Kiwi comedy that I'm talking about? It is what we do in the shadows. Now, normally you'd think that a concept like this could only sustain a Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live sketch, but Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement here are so good at what they do that not only could they sustain the runtime of a feature, but they've had a spin on TV series as well. This movie, I think, is so successful because what it does is it straddles two genres that we're very familiar with. It has all the tropes of found footage horror, and it also has all the tropes of the mockumentary. And putting them together, and letting us follow you know, these vampiric housemates as they navigate the politics of a household and also eternal curses is comedy gold. Um, I had this on my back burner. I avoided watching it for a really long time. I just didn't think that it would be for me. And so when I did watch it, not only did I spit my red wine out everywhere, but I watched it like three times in the same week. And for a comedy, then you know that you've got a real keeper. Um, the performances here across the board are just, you know, incredibly funny. I think that Jermaine, you know, I mean, when he goes for it, he's, you know, one of our great kind of character actors that exist at the moment, you know, and he has a creation here that is hard to forget. Um, but yeah, so I think that if you've got any kind of like hang-ups on what you think that this will be, you know, and I, and like, look, I am, a, I am a genre nerd. I guess everyone else talking on the show today is probably going to be talking about pretty deadly serious werewolf movies. And I have a reverence for these things. So I guess that was my reluctance. But if you're willing to take, you know, to go into a little bit of a piss take of genre filmmaking, I think that what we do in the shadows is one of the best comedies of the last couple of years. So check it out. Uh, everything that Tyke manages to touch seems to be going at gold at the moment. And this is part of that run. So yeah, check it out immediately. You heard him, folks. As heard on Triple M, thank you, Adam Ross. Track down his Facebook page. Adam's just seen and banter with the man. All right, Ben, let's, um, let's wind things up. Um, here's a few upcoming uh, werewolf films that uh, I'm interested in. I'm wondering if you've crossed any in your path, just in the line of work that you do. One called The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which I'm seeing getting a bit of love online at the moment. It's got a cool movie poster. One called I Am Lisa, which I don't know much about, but that poster's also getting around. It's a werewolf film. Mm-hmm. And then Eagle releasing one with Thomas Jane in September called Hunter's Moon, which I love the poster. It looks very cool. It just feels like at the moment Thomas Jane is in fucking everything. He is. Good and bad too. Like yeah. he's just, he's not discriminating. No. He's, he's, he's turning into Michael Caine. <laughs> that one also has um, Katrina Bowden and Jay Moore in it as well. So, you know. Katrina Bowden, she's such a weird, <laughs> such a weird actress. Like, I mean, she was like the eye candy on 30 Rock. Yep. And from then, and like apart from maybe American Pie Reunion, where she, <laughs> where she's got a great role as, as Chris Klein's kind of model girlfriend, <laughs> she's always... She's too good looking to play a regular person and they keep trying and you're like, <laughs> you you can't disguise. Maybe she's the werewolf in this one. Maybe she is. Maybe Who she's a, is she, hang on, is, is she the Lucy? Is that, is that the Lucy one? <laughs> no, the, no, no, no. I am Lisa. No, it's not Lisa? that one. This no. is the Hunter's Moon with Thomas Jane. Right. Anyway, um, do you want to, before we go, do you want to tell us about Letterboxd? Uh, Letterbox is a website. <laughs> well, I was going to say, what is it and what's the address because I'm an idiot. And I don't get I it. I don't know what the letter, the the address is because it doesn't it's not like Facebook where it gives you a Facebook.com slash Yes it does. 
Does it? Yeah. See, how do I know this in you? It's letterbox.com forward slash good movie Monday. Yeah, well, there you go. Why don't you just tell us about it then? <laughs> Did you notice that last week all the posters looked the same? Yeah. Our shark movie week? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's only so much you can do. It's the problem with shark movies and to a lesser degree werewolf movies. Like, I don't think a single one of these movies didn't have a moon in the poster. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be another week of yeah. same, same. Um, hey, if you're interested to know, we also do have a website, goodmoviemonday.com. You can go there and find all of our shows and all of our videos and there's competitions. We've got like loads of stuff to give away. Yeah, you can colour us in. We've got a colouring competition. And look, mind you, go go download the colouring competition and fill in some of the blanks too because not only can you colour it in, you can fill in extra detail. Right? Yeah. Give and Ben some nipples. <laughs> I need them. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, I, I, I hope people, like, is there an address that people, like, if you download it, color it in with crayon, the ultimate uh, <laughs> coloring book, uh, uh, coloring device, is there an address, a mailing address to send it? It is on the colouring competition itself. Download it and it will say, email your entry. No, 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 no. Is there a physical address that you could mail your actual <laughs> colored, crayon coloured? You have to take a picture of it after. I want to get that crayon, the proper version. Oh, you want to actually send it to a PO box? Yeah. Oh. Like, or something at Crow's Nest, like in Agro's Cartoon <laughs> Connection. Something That's right. It'll Nest. be somewhere in Chadston. Yeah. <laughs> We'll figure that out later. That's a great Pure idea. Box and we can start lining the walls with them. Yeah. If for our videos. Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. I wish I'd come up with that earlier. <laughs> hey, it's not often I spruik other shows on our show, but there's one that caught my attention recently. It's another Melbourne-based podcast called Movie Night with the Richie Girls. It's a mother and daughter team who um, do what we do. They share their love of movies and all that kind of stuff. But uh, they've been share- showing a lot of love for us online. Well, liking what we do, commenting, uh, dropping private messages. So give them a look in Movie Night with the Richie Girls. It's actually really good. Um, they recently had Dave O'Neill on their show talking about oh, the nugget. Cool. <laughs> Say what you will about that. So I, just, I just saw someone on Facebook selling a copy of the VHS. <laughs> See? The nugget. Mate, it's, um, yes, it's timely. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> is it is the nugget the one that's on Stan in the Australian classics? Like the, and you're like, hmm, the nugget? <laughs> Like I mean, don't get me wrong. Like it's better than Takeaway Take or <laughs> any any Andrew Gracie film. Mark Gracie. Mark Gracie. That's right. Andrew's his brother. Mark Gracie film. But uh, you know, is is it is it? <laughs> you mean friend of the show, Mark Gracie? Is friend of the show, Mark Gracie. No, I, I do. I actually have a soft spot for all of his films. <laughs> Was that a um, backpedal? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Like I've got them all. I I own all of his films. He's a genuinely awesome dude. Um, I've um, been on. I've been on radio with him. He's great. But you know, but like, there's a hierarchy. Yes. And the nugget, like the nugget, is not there with Walkabout, <laughs> or uh, you know, my brilliant career. We or, have the never never. We have the never never. It's not a, you know. The last wave. It's we of the fryer fryer. No, like, that's takeaway. Like I'd be very interested to hear Quentin Tarantino's take on the nugget, mm. but somehow I don't. Oh, think... hey, it's got Eric Banner. Like there's some you know yeah. prestige right there. Funny people's Eric Banner. <laughs> what the fuck are we talking about? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, now, I'm, now I'm giving shit to Eric Banner. Oh mate, because so, he knocked um... it, he knocked back our interview request for the dry. Wow, there you go. Well, we shall speak of him no more. Some other shout-outs, of course. We do it every week. Mobs that support our show are Four Pillars Gin, Eagle Entertainment, Umbrella Entertainment, Astor Theatre, and the Lunar Driving. Catch a 
bunch of their stuff on our giveaways page on the website. We've also got Jarrett, Guillermo, Adam, the Boneheads, Joe, Chad, and James. Thanks to them for their weekly input. And thanks to you. It's always fun, mate. And thank you. Thank um, you for saying thank you. <laughs> Do you have any parting words for the good people? Uh, just don't walk the moors at night. <laughs> what else can I say? And what are moors? What are, yeah. Let's <laughs> leave them with a philosophical pondery. Please email in and tell Ben what moors are. <laughs> uh, how about a song? TV on the radio wrote a song called Wolf Like Me and this is it. <laughs>